Good morning, church family. I'm P.J. Ryan, an elder here at Calvary Bible Church. And for our scripture reading today, we are in the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 10, verses 1 through 15. Ecclesiastes 10, verses 1 through 15. I'm using the New American Standard Version, 1995 edition. I invite you to follow along with me as I read. Dead flies make a perfumer's oil stink, so a little foolishness is weightier than wisdom and honor. A wise man's heart directs him toward the right, but the foolish man's heart directs him toward the left. Even when the fool walks along the road, his sense is lacking, and he demonstrates to everyone that he is a fool. If the ruler's temper rises against you, do not abandon your position, because composure allays great offenses. There is an evil I have seen under the sun, like an error which goes forth from the ruler. Folly is set in many exalted places, while rich men sit in humble places. I have seen slaves riding on horses and princes walking like slaves on the land. He who digs a pit may fall into it, and a serpent may bite him who breaks through a wall. He who quarries stones may be hurt by them, and he who splits logs may be endangered by them. If the axe is dull and he does not sharpen his edge, then he must exert more strength. Wisdom has the advantage of giving success. If a serpent bites before being charmed, there is no profit for the charmer. Words from the mouth of a wise man are gracious, while the lips of a fool consume him. The beginning of his talking is folly, and the end of it is wicked madness. Yet the fool multiplies words. No man knows what will happen, and who can tell him what will come after him? The toil of a fool so wearies him that he does not even know how to go to a city. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Some of you are wondering what in the world did you just hear? Um, That's the book of Ecclesiastes. Amen. It's just kind of cloaked in culture and in aphorisms. And I'll explain what that is here in just a moment. But allow me to begin with three statements this morning. The Bible is truth. God is real. And Jesus is savior. And all God's people say, now, before I go on any further, why do I do that? My, the only regret that I have from my time at Southside Baptist Church is saying to those students, not saying enough to those students that the Bible is truth. Because that is the foundation of our Christian walk. That if we have that basic lens to view the world through, then you can grow and you can understand what the Lord has for you. So if you haven't turned already in your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 10. Ecclesiastes chapter 10. Today we're in our 12th week of a 14-week series, walking verse by verse, chapter by chapter through this book. And today, Kohelet, the preacher, the main character in this book and the character for whom this book is named, Kohelet talks about wisdom. Wisdom for life under the sun. And this Block tower up here represents a life of wisdom. But let's just define terms for just a moment. What, what is wisdom? What do we mean by that? Wisdom is defined by the dictionary as the soundness of action or decision with regard to the application of experience, knowledge, and good judgment. Okay? But then the opposite of that, the definition of a fool. How many of you have ever known a fool before? Okay. This one's easier to describe because we see it often. Just drive on the parkway. Okay. Um, 
The definition of a fool is a person who acts unwisely or imprudently. That didn't really help me this week, so I looked for synonyms. These are the synonyms for a fool, and pardon me for saying all these. Um, idiot, half-wit, nimcompoop, blockhead, buffoon, dunce, dolt, ignoramus, imbecile, dullard, simpleton, dope, and moron. Okay. Uh, how many of you want to be known as a fool? What do you know? How many of you want to be known as wise? But the question is, is how? How can we become wise? How can we leave a legacy, footprints of our lives that are of wisdom and godliness and righteousness? How do we actually leave that behind? Wisdom is not gifted, it is earned. Wisdom is not talent, it's diligence. Wisdom is not a moment, but it is moment after moment. It is brick by brick. Wisdom is built up over time. I think sometimes that we reserve wisdom to really smart people, but that is not the case at all. For really smart people, do some really unwise things. You've known them, okay? I'm sure you have. But wisdom is built brick by brick. By the decisions you make day in and day out, year in and year out. And the slab that wisdom is built upon is truth. The slab that wisdom is built upon is truth. The most important element to being wise is truth. It is knowing and understanding truth. What truth particularly? This. This is the truth. You Listen, listen. You cannot be wise in life if you do not know the Bible. Because this is the foundation, this is the truth to it all. This is the Word of God that God has placed in our midst to help us guide us and live righteous lives. It takes knowing the Scripture. As I said last a couple of weeks ago, a wise person is someone with a worn-out Bible. Because if you don't know the Scripture, if you do not know truth, you cannot be wise. Because wisdom is the application of truth. In chapter 10 today, Kohelet talks about wisdom for life under the sun. So if you haven't already opened there, I invite you to do so. What you will notice about our text today is that there are three principles in the text. But if you actually take a step back and look at it as a whole, there is one kind of overarching theme or one overarching implicit thought in chapter 10. But there are three specific principles that kind of help lead to that conclusion. But very quickly, let us set the stage for our discussion today. What is the implicit theme of the book of Ecclesiastes? It is what? It is a life well lived. I mean, I just want you to think about something. Not only did God display his love by sending his son, which was the ultimate display of love. But think about this, that God is so loving to us that he would actually inspire a man to write a book about how to live a good life down here. He would give us 12 chapters to guide us on how to simply enjoy life. Friends, life is too short to be miserable all the time. That is what this book is all about. 
Solomon doesn't concern himself for eternal life or eternal rewards, as I say often, that that is a different discussion for a different day. But Solomon's concern is for life down here. And how do we have a great life? Now, I say this often, but the reason I repeat myself is because repetition is theological glue. What I want you to do in the future, in 20 years from now, if you want to study the book of Ecclesiastes, you have some framework to understand the text. The implicit theme is a life well lived, and there are five principles that you see in this book on every page. What are the five principles? Number one, to embrace the fact that life is just short. Just short. Chapter one, verse four. A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. That you will die one day and the grass will grow over your grave and people will forget your name. Number two, embrace the fact that life is just simply unfair. Chapter 3, verse 16. Furthermore, I've seen under the sun that in the place of justice there is weakness, and in the place of righteousness there is, excuse me, in the place of justice there is wickedness, and in the place of righteousness there is wickedness. In other words, that things are topsy-turvy. But because life is short, because life is unfair, what are we to do, friends? We are to enjoy God's... Let's try that again. To... Woof. Enjoy God's... And what did we see last week? We saw six simple things to enjoy. Can I just speak a little bit? That we act and live miserably, hoping to enjoy a vacation. Okay, anybody else can relate to that? Okay, but it's the simple things in life that we are to enjoy. That we are to enjoy what we eat. Any brothers and sisters in the room that love to eat... I mean, we are to enjoy what we drink. Diet Coke is my, and coffee is my drink of choice. That we are to, number three, that we enjoy prepping ourselves, taking a shower, putting oil on our head, making sure our clothes are always white, put together. You should enjoy your wife of your youth, the woman that you love, the family that you have. And we should enjoy our toil. Principle number four is that we are to fear God. And then principle number five is to keep God's commandments. And it, 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 this, this, these last two principles are ending the book. This is chapter 12, verse 13. The conclusion, this is the author speaking. The conclusion when all has been heard is fear God and keep his commandments because this applies to every person. For God will bring every act to judgment, everything which is hidden, whether it is good or evil. In other words, what? Don't worry about the wicked prospering and the righteous perishing. That God will make it right in the end. You just worry about yourself. You worry about fearing God. You worry about obeying His commands. Let God handle the justice of all things. And then in chapter 8, where we are today, this section of the scripture, this section of the book of Ecclesiastes is Kohelet's counsel, his counsel for a fallen world. Chapter 8, what does it talk about? That we should do the right thing. That his counsel is to obey, to listen to, to submit ourselves to both earthly, wicked authority. We could, I had a lot of questions about that one after church. You can come ask me if you want to. But then also to submit to God and his authority. I, um, I have an accounting firm downtown, and I'm not that fancy. It's for my dad's business, okay? Um, and on their wall, this secular business has in bold print, do the right thing always. Right? 
That's what he's saying in chapter 8. Do the right thing always. Always live in the submission of God and of earthly authority. In chapter 9, it is what? To enjoy what you have. Because why? Because there is one fate for all men. All men what? We all die. Righteous and wicked. Good and evil. The swearer and the not swearer. The person who sacrifices and the person who doesn't sacrifice. All men die. So enjoy what you can when you can. In Ecclesiastes chapter 10, Solomon, or Kohelet, the main character in this book, just gives us some wisdom for life down under the sun. And if you noticed last week, I stopped at chapter 9, verse 12, really chapter 10. They didn't ask me, but chapter 10 really begins in verse 13 of chapter 9. And the reason I stopped randomly at verse 10, because late in my studies I realized that, so I just kind of left it off. But if you, if you knew chapter 9, verses 13 through 15, that there is a parable about a poor man who is wise. And what's the parable say? That the city forgot the poor man who saved the entire city. In other words, what is he saying? That wisdom is better. Wisdom is always better than folly. Like the poor wise man that saved the city, a wise person may be forgotten, overlooked, or even punished. But no matter what, it is still better to be wise than to be a fool. So where we pick up today is in verse 17 of chapter 9. As I'll reiterate this. There are three key principles that we see in this text. And there is one overarching theme over the chapter. Notice the first principle in verse 17 of chapter 9. The words of the wise, heard in quiet, are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. Verse 18. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. Dead flies make a perfumer's oil stink, so that a little foolishness is weightier than wisdom and honor. What is Kohelet's wisdom for life? Principle number one is a little foolishness ruins wisdom. Notice the end of verse 1. A little foolishness is weightier than wisdom and honor. In other words, what? Just a little bit of dumb decisions can ruin your reputation, can ruin what people think about you. Anybody ever experienced that before? A wise person is somebody you really looked up to. You thought, man, they hung the moon, and then all of a sudden they did really something D-U-M-B. What do you do now? You don't look at all of their good. You don't look at all of the things that they did, that all the good advice. Typically what we do is we just look at all the dumb decisions they made. That's what he's saying. Dead flies make a perfumer's oil stink. A little foolishness is weightier than wisdom and honor. And if you notice in your text, the, the principle is at the end of verse 1, but there are two illustrations for that principle, one in verse 18 and one in verse 1. Dead flies make a perfumer's oil stink. In other words, a wise person who turns to folly makes people forget that he was ever wise. Something small ruins something valuable and something good. A measure of wealth in this day was perfume or ointment or oil. And even something like a small fly can ruin something of great value. A little foolishness ruins the great value of wisdom. Why? Because wisdom is built brick by brick. 
You will build a life of wisdom by making good decisions every day. Listen, we think that wisdom is reserved to the really smart philosophers, the really smart Christians. It's not. Some of the, some of the least intelligent people are the wisest of all. Wisdom is built by good decision after good decision that you make. But a reputation for wisdom can be ruined in a moment's notice. A little yeast leavens the whole dough. So be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise. One preacher said this, Wisdom is like a granite foundation and a soap bubble. You can build a civilization on it and you can rid of it in one stroke. We've all known people that have ruined their lives, that have ruined their reputation, that have ruined your thoughts of them by making one or two or three silly decisions. A dead fly ruins something of value. That's what he's saying. Something that is so valuable, like wisdom, it can be ruined in a moment's notice. Notice verse 2. A wise man's heart directs him toward the right, and the foolish man's heart directs him to the left. This is not a political statement, okay? If Solomon heard you say that guy's a left winger, he would have looked at you cross-eyed, okay? This is not a political statement. What is he saying? A wise person takes the opposite direction of a fool. Verse 3. Even when the fool walks along the road, his sense is lacking and he demonstrates to everyone that he is a fool. In other words, what? That everyone can spot a fool by three things. You can spot a foolish person pretty easily by, number one, how they treat people. A fool is an ignoramus, okay, another synonym for fool. I mean, just think about it. You can spot a fool by how they treat other people. A fool is self-consumed, is prideful, is someone that cannot ask for forgiveness. A fool won't listen. A fool lashes out at a moment's notice. A fool burns bridges. A fool gossips about other people. But a wise person treats people with respect. Ecclesiastes 8.1 A man's wisdom illumines him and causes his stern face to beam. You can spot a fool by how they treat people, by how they talk. Okay. I, you don't have to. It's cool. Um, how many of you have ever met somebody that lost all their adjectives? In other words, all they speak in is four-letter words. Anybody ever met those kind of people? Okay, and, and, and what is the first thing you, if you're, if you're Taco Bell or something, and you're eating there, right? And there's this guy that's just using bad language, and what do you do? Do you think, oh man, he is wise, okay? No, <laughs> you think that guy's a, a, a nitwit. You can spot a fool easily. It's much easier to spot a fool than a wise person. You can spot a fool by how they treat people, are they self-consumed, are they prideful? Do they gossip? Do they talk bad about people? You can spot a fool by how they talk, and you can spot them by how they live. By even how they drive, okay? Um, but then notice verse 4 of chapter 10. This is Solomon's ADD moment. I call it his squirrel moment. Okay, verse 4. If the ruler's temper rises against you, do not abandon your position... Because composure allays many great offenses. Now, Kohelet just kind of randomly inserts this into chapter 10. And I, uh, 
I felt like this was just ADD moment for Solomon. And my wife has even said, hey, Barn, do you feel like he's just kind of all over the place all the time? I'm like, yes, he is. Um, and I just thought, okay, how does this verse 4 you know, fit into the framework as a whole? And it, it, it doesn't have to. Solomon or Kohelet could just be having a mic drop. But dead flies ruin a perfumer's oil. What is he saying? That if your boss or person in authority rages against you, what is he telling you to do? He's telling you to be humble and to stand your ground. Verse 4 again. If the ruler's temper rises against you, do not abandon your position. The ESV says here, for calmness will lay great offenses to rest. So if your boss or your parent, if you're living under their house, or whoever is in authority over you, if they lose your temper or lose their temper on you, what should you do? Keep cool. What do we typically do? Let's just be honest here. Okay? When somebody starts screaming at you, what do you do? You typically fight back. There are four main reactions you probably have for somebody in authority that wigs out on you. Number one, you fight back. Number two, you storm out. Number three, you have the nuclear bomb. Anybody else like that? You just have pent-up anger. And then you just got to blow up on somebody. Okay? Or number four, you shrivel. When the king rages, if you keep calm and you stay humble, it allays many offenses. That's what he says in verse 4. If you handle even your reaction. Now think about this. The fool, it talks about his action, it talks about his talk, it talks about how he lives. But even here in verse 4, that we can be discredited on our wisdom by how we react to other people. You ever notice that before? Have you ever reacted poorly to somebody in your life? Of course you have. That makes you normal, okay? We can be discredited. Our, our lives can be dismantled. Our wisdom that we seek to live by can be dismantled by just a simple reaction to somebody who is wigging out on us. Friends, listen to me. The little things matter. The little words that you say to your family, they matter. Your little actions that you take in private, they matter. The little decisions that you make on a daily basis matter. The way you treat people at church, the way you treat people at work, the way you treat your customers, the way you treat grocery clerks at Kroger, all that matters. You know, when we make a mistake, we don't typically apologize very quickly. Okay. Um, We just say, oh, they'll get over it. Or we just say, I didn't do anything. The little things matter. How you treat people is important. Because if you want to live a life of wisdom, if you want to live a godly and righteous life, if you want to be a light for Christ, then the little things add up. What is Kohelet's counsel or wisdom for life? Principle number one is a little foolishness ruins wisdom. Principle number two is found in verses 5 through 10. Notice it with me. There is an evil I have seen under the sun like an arrow which goes forth from the ruler. And what is the evil? Folly is set in many exalted places. That folly and foolishness and silliness is in exalted places, in places that are important. While rich men sit in humble places. I've seen slaves riding on horses and princes walking like slaves on the land. What is he saying? Principle number two is that folly leads to demise and wisdom gives success. 
No one is above the demise of folly. What is it? He says princes are walking on the ground. Rich men are in humble places. No one is above the consequences of acting foolish. No one. That's what he's saying. If you act like a fool, it will catch up to you. No one is above folly. Notice verse 9 in the aphorisms. I'll explain what that is. These are little pithy sayings. Verse 9. He who queries stones may be hurt by them, and he who splits log may be endangered by them. If the axe is dull and he does not sharpen its edge, then he must exert more force. So not only if you are foolish will you lead to your demise but also sometimes you can act in wisdom and it also leads to punishment or demise notice verse 9 he who quarries stones may be hurt by them he who is working hard can be hurt by what he does he who is wise can be punished for being wise and he who splits logs may be endangered by them one commentator says this the wise man generally can avert the disasters of verses 8 and 9 if he exercises preparation as is seen in verse 10 and foresight. By doing so, he both avoids wasted effort and personal danger. Kohelet affirms this thought in verse 10. If the axe is dull and he does not sharpen its edge, then he must exert more strength. Wisdom has the advantage of giving success. Wisdom gives success and folly creates demise. If you are wise... If you make good decisions, if you apply the truth, that is what wisdom really is. It is discernment. It is taking the truth that you know and it is applying it to different situations. If you are wise, you aren't guaranteed a great life. But it increases your odds. It increases your odds. That's what he's saying in verse 9. He who quarries stones may be hurt by them, and he who splits log may be endangered by them. If the axe is dull and he does not sharpen its edge, then he must exert more strength. Folly always, 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 always leads to inevitable demise, but wisdom gives success. Friends, no matter how rich you are, No matter how smart you are, no matter how young you are, no matter how great you think you are, no one is above falling to their knees. We can all crash and burn. We can all fall. I have seen slaves riding on horses and princes walking like slaves on the land. No one is above demise. A momentary lapse in judgment can bring you to your knees. I mean, go drive Green Mountain Road and just stop looking at the road for about 10 seconds. See what happens to you. A momentary lapse in judgment can bring you to your knees. I think it was Chuck Swindoll that said this. With the right pressure, anyone is capable of anything. By the grace of God, go with I. Let's just stop. Let's just stop pretending that we have it all together. Let us just stop pretending that we're perfect. Let us just live and abide by wisdom and realize that in a moment's notice, we can be brought to our knees by the consequences of our decision. 
What does it say in 1 Peter 5, 8? Be of sober spirit, be on the alert. For your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour, but resist them firm in your faith. Act with wisdom in small things, because it is built brick by brick. Principle number two is folly leads to demise. Wisdom gives success. But then notice principle number three in verses 12 and on. Principle number three, I'll go ahead and give it to you. Wise words are gracious. What does that mean? And foolish words consume you. Verse 12. Words from the mouth of a wise man are gracious while the lips of a fool consumes him. The Hebrew word for gracious here is hain, I believe. My Hebrew is a little bit rusty, okay? But it means favor. But it also means kindness or righteous or pleasing. But it really, the, the best use of it in the Old Testament is favor. And what's interesting, it is used 70 times in the Old Testament, this word hain, where it's gracious in verse 12. It's used 70 times, and it's almost always used in conversation. And it means that if I have found favor in your sight. So a wise person, what? Doesn't think, doesn't think his words are gracious or wise or have favor. But those around you dictate your words. Those you speak to dictate whether you are wise or not. Can I just poke? What would people say about you? What would people say about you? I'm not shaming you. I'm just telling, I mean, it's just the, the truth. What would people say about the way you live? What would the fast food restaurant that spent 25 minutes getting your food, what would they say you do? I was in Dunkin' Donuts this morning for like 30 minutes, all right, getting those donuts for everybody. I was late this morning, you know, and I'm preaching this text, okay? And I say, okay, Byron, it matters how I treat this person behind the desk. Chill out. Be kind, okay? It matters. People, your reputation, your wisdom is built, not in a moment, it's built brick by brick on the foundation of applying truth. What would people say? Do you find favor in other people's eyes? But then notice how the fool talks. Notice what he does. The half-wit, number one, talk is folly. Verse 13, the beginning of his talking is folly and the end of it is wickedness. The word folly means silliness or frivolous. A foolish person... What? The beginning of his talk is folly. It's senseless. It's silly. Okay? Um, This is going to be the most controversial part of my message all day. If you only talk about Alabama football, okay? (laughs) Okay. Okay. (laughs) No more eagles in the room? Okay. I guess they lost yesterday. if you only talk about frivolous things, things that aren't important, things that aren't based in truth, the beginning of a fool's talk is folly, and the end of it is wickedness and madness. A fool's talk is folly. Number two, a fool talks too much for his own good. Verse 14, let the fool multiply his words. No man knows what will, will happen and who can tell him what will come after him. How many of you have ever known people that talk too much for their own good? All right, yeah. Number three, a fool's advice is so bad they can't take simple directions. Verse 15, the toil of a fool so worries him that he doesn't even know how to go into a city. All right, 
he can't even take his own and provide simple instructions. Can I, uh, how many of you have ever said something foolish? Please raise your hand. Because that makes you normal, okay? I hope two things. I hope you know that a life of wisdom is not built in a moment, but is built by how you live day in and day out, brick by brick by brick. But this is the second thing I hope. We all say dumb things. Can I get an amen to that one? We all, yeah, we all lose our tempers. Believe it or not, I do too. Okay, I really do. Um, <laughs> okay, uh, we, all, <laughs> we all lose our temper. We all say things we shouldn't. We all are mean to our spouse at times. We all are rude to our children. Right? There are times where Brent says, you don't love me anymore. Okay, I'm like, oh, baby, I love you. Okay. She's just trying to needle me a little bit. Okay. We all say dumb things. But what separates you from the fool, what separates you as a wise person is that you recognize it and apologize. If you do something D-U-M-B, Apologize. A fool is prideful, and a wise person is humble. Apologize. Just recognize it. I think sometimes we think that an apology is a sign of weakness. It ain't. It's a sign of strength. It's a sign of wisdom. It's a sign of being a righteous person. If you confess your sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive your sins and to clean you who are all unrighteous. Therefore, confess your sins to one another, pray for one another, so you can be healed. Apologizing is so rare. It is so... I, I, here, I've noticed that apologizing is so rare that when somebody actually does it authentically, that it gives them more stock. It gives them more respect in my book. Anybody else knows that? Because it takes humility. It takes just noticing your own mistakes. Because we all can act like the fool. It's just the way life is. We're imperfect beings. Just recognize your mistakes, please. Life will be better. You'll have better relationships. Your wife won't resent you as much, okay? Friends, we all make mistakes, but a humble and righteous man knows it. There are plenty of times that I have not apologized. Um, recently, an elder of the church called me and brought up a concern from somebody in the church and I got irritated. Okay. <laughs> so I won't uh, go any further on that, but I just got irritated. And this elder said, Byron, you need to check your attitude. <laughs> and I said, you're right. You're right. I'm sorry. Instantly. I just apologized right then and there. I realized that he was right. That if I would have continued on that path, I would have inevitably broken the house of my wisdom, the wisdom that I've acquired in my life, whatever that is. I can't, a wise person can't brag about himself, so there you go. You, y'all determine it, like I said already. Just apologize for your mistakes. It'll take you a long way in life. Dead flies ruin perfume. A momentary lapse in judgment can ruin your reputation. If you lose your temper, apologize. If you say something awkward, say you're sorry. If you act like an ignoramus, apologize. 
Because if somebody recognizes their mistakes and confesses their sin, it gives them more respect and it shows that they are truly humble. But if someone is rude and doesn't, the dead flies ruin the perfume. What do people say about you? What do people say about you when you're not around? Do they say, you know, that guy, that lady is righteous, is godly, is wise. They know the truth. They are a light in the dark world. Or do they say, man, that person is obnoxious? What is Kohelet's wisdom for life? Number one, a little foolishness ruins wisdom. Number two, folly leads to demise and wisdom gives success. Number three, wise words are gracious and foolish words consume you. But those are the three principles that I see in the text. But now let us talk about the whole. Let's, let's just step back and take a look at what is the overarching theme of chapter 12. Now, the hardest part... I'm just going to say something. The hardest part of preaching is not looking at the pieces. That's the fun stuff, right? That's the easy stuff. That's the good stuff, man. Just look at that little Hebrew and Greek and, and looking at all the parsings and structure. Maybe I'm just a nerd. Okay. But that's where I like, right? That's the, the Looking at the pieces of the puzzle is Byron's dream, okay? So, but it's really hard to step, take a step back and just look at the puzzle that you created, the picture that, is, that God is designing in chapter 10. What? What is the overall point? You know, I, uh, this is a Bible, this is a journaling Bible that I have that contains all of my notes from reading the book of Ecclesiastes 50 times before I ever began to preach it. And when I looked at Ecclesiastes chapter 10 this week, there was a big bracket around the whole chapter. It said, the principle here is that as a general rule of thumb, you reap what you sow. As a general rule of thumb. Now we know that righteous people perish and the wicked prosper. We know that. We've seen it in the book of Ecclesiastes. But as a general idea, you reap what you sow. If you plant corn, you get corn. If you are grumpy all the time at home, guess what? If you sow wisdom, you get wisdom. If you sow godliness, you get godliness. If you sow walking by the Spirit, you walk by the Spirit. What you sow is what you reap. If you sow foolish things, if you make poor decisions on a daily basis, guess what your life is going to be like? It's going to be a hot disaster, okay? It just is. But if you make good decisions, if you make wise decisions, if you're godly and you try to walk by the Spirit and obey the Scripture, you will reap those fruits as well. The question I have today for Christians, for those who are believers in Jesus Christ, my question is quite simple. What are you sowing? What are you sowing? What are you putting in the ground as your life? How are you living day to day? Are you making wise decisions brick by brick by brick? Or are you making poor decisions that inevitably will cause disaster? You reap what you sow. There are a couple of other questions on the back of the note sheet. I would encourage you to grab those on your way out if you have not already. But the general rule of thumb in chapter 10 is that what you put in the ground is the fruit that you produce. 
Before I close, uh, I would like to answer a question, so what to non-Christians in the room? If you are running from God, if you are apathetic towards God, if you are indifferent, if you just don't know what to make of life, then I'm just going to say that you really can't live life to the fullest without Him. You can try to find the devices of the world. You could try to find the pleasures of the world. You could try to run after a great career. You could try to make as much money as possible. But without God, you simply cannot enjoy this side of heaven. What does it say in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verses 24 and 25? There's nothing better for a man than to eat and drink and to tell himself that his labor is good. This also I've seen that it is from the hand of God. For who can eat and who can have enjoyment without him? Psalm 1611 says, You will make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. And in your right hand there are pleasures forever. If you want to enjoy life as he has designed... Now, I'm not going to say that the Christian life is the best thing ever. It's not the easiest thing ever. It is the best thing ever. But it's not the easiest thing ever. Okay. Okay. Poor choice of words. I apologize. There you go. Okay. It is the best thing ever. It is great. If you truly want to live a life as God has designed, it really is. It really is. But it's not easy. If you've never surrendered to him as Lord, come talk to me after church. Come talk to some of the elders, PJ, who read the scripture this morning. We would love to answer any questions you have. As a general rule of thumb, you reap what you sow. What are you sowing on a daily basis? What are you sowing in your home? What are you sowing in your private life that no one sees? What are you sowing in your head that no one sees? If you get plant corn, you get corn. If you plant righteousness, you get fruits of righteousness. But if you plant wisdom or folly and wickedness, then you get the same. Pray with you. Father, we thank you for this morning. Thank you for the book of Ecclesiastes and just the wisdom that it gives us for life under the sun. I just pray that we would have an uh, awareness of ourselves. A self-awareness to our own mistakes to the way we are, to our personalities, to our tempers, to the way we talk to people. And Lord, I just pray that we, when we make a mistake, that we would be bold enough and wise enough to ask for forgiveness. From not only from them, but also from you. Lord, thank you for how good you really are. That you're abounding in loving kindness. We thank you that you forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Lord, I thank you for this church. I thank you for what you're doing here. I just uh, thank you for my brothers and sisters. And we are just grateful to be together. May we consider how to stimulate one another to our love and good deeds. Thank you for today. And we lift this up in Jesus' name. Amen.